All right, so when I was uh, in my seventh grade, I had a math teacher who would greet us every single day with this weird question. He would, he, but he would just ask you personally sometimes. He would say, hey, did you walk to school or did you bring your lunch? Right? And I, I thought, what a weird teacher. The math teacher, I'm going, How, why do you ask that question? And I don't know that I ever actually put it together until I was just thinking about it recently. Here's what he was doing. He was asking two questions that are not oppositional. Right? Because it's a, it's a false dichotomy. You can walk to school and bring your lunch. It is not an either-or option. And what I found out, I think what he's trying to teach us is a lot of times in life, people put out questions like that, and they make it sound like it's one or the other when in actuality it's a false dichotomy and it could be both. And you're already thinking, wow, are we going to learn about the Bible today or just false dichotomies? So here's my question for you. If you're a parent, do you ground your kids or do you want your children to be loving? Right? And, and, and this is the kind of judgment that takes place between parents, by the way, right? Especially, so you probably have an attitude, whether you're a grandparent or a parent or some innocent observer or a child, you probably have an, a, a belief system about spankings, right? And so the question, well, why would you spank your children if you love them, right? Well, that's a false dichotomy, right? You can, now, certain levels and reason, but you can't, if this is not an either-or option. It, whatever you think about it, it is not an either-or option. But parents, and that's just one example, that's probably the most, like, the biggest one we have in our minds. Parents do that all the time. So if you're a parent or you're going to become a parent, I just got to tell you, you are in the worst stage of life. <laughs> and it's not because of your children, it's because of the other parents. Because they are looking at you and they are judging you and they're thinking things like, I really like them, I really like them, but I hate how they raise their children. It's the most judgmental stage of life that we have for each other. And I would ask at the beginning of the series that we just go, let's put that down. Let's put down all of our opinions. Let's let them rest. Let's not judge each other. Let's put creative culture where we support each other. Because I pretty much guarantee you this, almost everybody who's a parent is in over their heads, number one. Number two is looking for ways to make it better. And number three, they're doing the best they can. Now, we hope through the series and other conversations and, and as a church we can help develop those skills a little bit better. But you need to be aware there's a false dichotomy, and usually it's between technique and purpose, right? The technique is the little thing, the, the, the moment what you're doing and how you're doing it, but the, the purpose is what you're trying to achieve, and it's a much bigger thing. So, for example, timeout, spanking, groundings, natural consequences, these are all ways we try to control our children. It's just one little part of parenting, but it's usually what gets talked about the most is how can I control them? Those are all techniques, and that's all they are. And they can change, and they can be used different ways, different times. I will tell you, if you are a parent, you had more than one child. I have two. If you have more than one child, you learned really quickly that what worked with the first child did not work with the second. We had one child who required a very, very firm hand. We had another child that we looked at, and she would go, what did I do? What did I do? You better stop it, whatever it is, right? Because... <laughs> We're asking the same thing. So that's the techniques, and they switch according to the child, how they're wired, how you're wired, the stage of life you're in. But purposes stay kind of the same, right? Most of us want our children to grow up to be kind, gentle, loving, independent, well, especially independent, thoughtful, wise, spiritually connected to God, and mature people. And that's probably not all of them, but that is a list of things that almost every parent in this room is going to say, I want that for my child. And it may not be in the order of priority, but it's certainly probably making your list. Now, why is this important as we start this series? Well, you need to know that the Bible 
is far more about purpose than it is technique. Right? So when we start talking about parenting, you come in going, I want to find out the Christian way to do this or that in terms of technique. I'm, I'm going to tell you the Bible, the Bible is fairly quiet about that. I mean, there are some things in the Bible that people take and, and try to make into a technique that applies to everybody everywhere, but it's really not there. So let me just give you one example of a passage that um, I think is a very important passage for us to know as, as parents. In fact, when we do our child dedications, I read these verses almost every time. It's from Deuteronomy. It's Moses who has written the law all down, and he's speaking to the nation of Israel, and he starts talking about how we're going to be a nation that continues to follow God in the future. Here's what he says. He says, so commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these words of mine, you know, his, the, the, the laws that he wrote down from God. Tie them to your hands. Wear them on your forehead as reminders. Teach them to your children. Talk about them when you are at home and when you are on the road, when you are going to bed and when you are getting up. Write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates so that as long as the sky remains above the earth, you and your children may flourish in the land the Lord swore to give to your ancestors. Now, in that passage, there's some techniques. Did you hear them? Right? Write them on your hands. Tie them to your foreheads. Write them on the doorpost or the frame of your door, front door, at your house and on the gate to your property, assuming you have a gate to your property, put them there as well. So let me just ask you, how many of you have scripture written on your hand this morning? Millennials, come on, didn't you tattoo that on there somewhere? It's all right. How many of you have, there you go, how many of you, now, now that I brought it up, you do, right, exactly. Yep. How many of you have something on your forehead to remind you of the Word of God and the Word of God is you're carrying it around. No, I'm looking at your foreheads. You don't, none of you, right? But when you go to Israel, and you can come with me next November, right? There's still room for you. You will see Jewish people and they look like this. A lot of them are walking around. And what do you see on their forehead? A little box. It's called a phylactery, right? Now look at the arm. You see something tied around to their, to their hand. They are following this verse literally. If you go to their homes, you'll see verses above their doors and on their doorposts. And if they have a gate to their property, they'll put the scripture there as well. Why? Because they are obeying that scripture in the way, the techniques. Right? They're saying, this is the word of God. We are to do exactly these things. But why don't we do that? Don't we care about God's word? Don't we care about teaching our children? Don't we care about what that commandment? Sure. But we look at that and we go, no, this is, the purpose is, the purpose is raise your children so that they can know about, so they can love and follow God. Know about them because you talk about them all the time, whether you're going in or going out, whether you're traveling or staying home. It's a daily part of your life. You don't have it written on your doorpost, but it is in your, it is in your life. It's in your daily life. This is one of the reasons we pray at meals. It's one of the reasons you talk um, about God in the morning. You talk about God at the night. You say your nightly prayers. All those kinds of conversations is to accomplish that same verse. So here's my point. The Bible is far more about purpose than technique. So, so what do we call this series? Parenting on purpose. Right? So this, I'm just going to tell you, this, this series will have some techniques to it, but it's going to be far more about purpose, some, some bigger things. So that's a, just a little speech to get ready for the for the for the series. Now let me just add one more thing. It is very likely that you will be shaking your head somewhere in this series, going, "You know what? I don't agree with that, Doug. I don't think you're right." And I, I 
so that's fine. You're allowed to be wrong. It doesn't bother me. <laughs> right? It's, 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 it's okay. In fact, we're going to talk about verses today that are controversial, that you put six Christians in a room, they can divide a church right there because half of them go one way and half of them go the other. It's not worth doing, but they, they could. People have very strong emotions about some of these things. We want a church where we can talk about stuff. That's why we do small groups. You can go ahead and argue. Go ahead and see it differently. Go ahead and wrestle with it. As long as you're surrendering to the Word of God in your life, we're, we're fine with that. So I don't mind triggering great conversations. I don't mind triggering disagreement. But let's be mature about it as we, as we move forward. That's, that's crosswinds. All right, so here we go. First message. I'm today, today, I'm going to talk about the most important parental decision that you have made or will ever make. Okay, now, you should be thinking, what will that be? What could it be? So here's what I want you to do. I'm going to give you just a, a couple minutes, not even that long, 30 seconds, to whisper what you think that decision is to the person next to you. Let me just tell you, it is not about nursing. All right, go. <laughs> Bottle fed or nursing? The most important parental decision. You got it? Is that what I'm hearing? Okay, smart Alec, what is it? Is it, it's God. Well, it's hard to argue with the answer, Jesus or God. That's, that's true. However, however, I'm actually not going to say that's it. Ready? Here's what I think it is. It's whom I choose to be my partner in parenting. Whom I choose to be my... Now, some of you are thinking, wow, Doug, could you say that any more politically correct? So I'll church it up a little bit. It's who you marry. It's who you say, I do what I do, and in, in an ideal, you don't have children necessarily yet, it's your love of your life, and you move forward, and you, part of that is you're planning to raise a family. Maybe God blesses with children, maybe he doesn't, but whoever that is, that is your most important parental decision. In fact, this is so kind of, kind of strange, marriages, marriages which you know, are supposed to be permanent, aren't. But I promise you, you can be married to somebody and you can get a divorce in our culture and you can split up and never talk to them again and go your own separate ways unless you have children. If you have children, you are bonded together forever because you will be at each other, the weddings, you'll be at special events, you will have these awkward moments forever. And it's just the most ironic thing is that we can undo your vow. I mean, not really, but we can, right? We can, we can break your vow we can get divorced, but you can't undo parenting. And this partner, this partner will be your partner in parenting forever. So my theory is, after doing all the counseling I've done for weddings over the years, is that we don't ask the right questions before we make this decision. We don't ask enough questions before we get, get married. And I know this is a parenting kind of a, a series, but I'm telling you, this is your most important parental decision you'll ever make. And what we need to do is train people a little bit to ask the right questions, at least some of them, before they get married. In fact, if you want to know what premarital counseling is all about, and I, if you get married, I'll make you do it, it's about me making sure that you've had the right conversations. It's not about me teaching, training, and so much. It's about me making sure that you've asked the right questions and that you've talked about these things before you get married. There are some uncomfortable dating questions that must be asked. So I'm going to train you today on what those questions are. We're going to call them UDQs. What is a UDQ? Right, because I'm going to forget, so I'm going to have to ask you again what it is because I made it up. So UDQs. All right. The purpose of dating, let's go back to that for a moment. 
Because the purpose of dating isn't to be a parent, but it is a step in that direction. The purpose of dating is to find someone to marry. And if you think it's anything else, you're wrong. You're allowed to disagree, but you're wrong. Because dating is not about just having a good time. That's a date. A date is about having a good time. But dating, dating is about finding someone you continue to date and you go another level of intimacy and friendship with until finally you make a lifelong commitment to each other in marriage. That's the purpose of dating is to find someone to marry. A more cynical way of saying is the purpose of dating is to eliminate this one. Right? And I say that a little tongue-in-cheek, but I'm absolutely serious. That as soon as you know that you're not going to marry this person, that they don't make the list, that they don't qualify, there's a deal-breaker, you don't keep taking his money, you don't keep hanging out with her in a dating sense, I don't care if you be friends, but when you know that you won't marry the person, stop dating them. Crush their little souls. Pull them up, look at them and go, I'm sorry, you're not a keeper. And then you catch and you release. (laughs) Right? And they swim away and they grow up and grow bigger and they find someone else in the future and God continues to bless your life. And that's, that's the responsible, that's the mature thing to do. Don't date someone because, well, until someone better comes along, I'm just going to hang out with this person. That's immature and it's dangerous to your heart and to theirs. And you can end up married to the wrong person or to a person that you go, why did I marry this person afterwards? When you know, as soon as you know that they don't qualify, you got your measurements up, you measure them up, they don't qualify, release them. Stop dating them and break their hearts. It's all okay. What does UDQ stand for? Okay, you're going to retain it. All right, so there's a whole bunch of them when you're in that dating process that you should ask. And these conversations should take place. So whether you're, whether you're, if you're currently single, because I know some of you have been married before, this is going to apply. Uh, those of you who are parents, you need to teach your children this stuff. You know, just take notes of those of you who are single and you're young, you're going to learn something that's very, very important in your dating process, okay? So I'm going to go through some uncomfortable dating questions that you should ask in the topic only of, of parenting. I was right saying last night, there's quite a few of them. I should write a book of things that people talk about while they're dating and questions. It would be just like one question a page, and it would be real thick, real fast, and I could make a lot of money. So here we go. (laughs) Uncomfortable dating questions. By the way, when I say this, not the first date. (laughs) You understand what I'm saying? If you ask these the first date, they're going to go, oh, I release you. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so here's the first one. How many children would you like to have someday? Right? None, none. I got it, right? How many would you like to have? If you already got them, don't say none. That's not nice at all, right? Follow-up question is, how many would you like to raise? If those answers don't match, (laughs) there's a problem. And, And ask the second one because it implies involvement and work, right? Because that's what having children is. It's not like a charming around your bracelet. Oh, I got children, and I can flash them. No, you've got kids. That means you've got to go home and take care of them. All right? Um, what does a good mom or dad look like to you? What, when you think of a good mom or a dad, what do, you, what do you think of? What was the best thing about your parents? This is huge. What did they do right? Because guess what they're going to want to do? The exact same thing. So you want to pay attention to that. How did your parents fail? This is huge. What scar tissue do you have from your childhood? You know, and you want to ask that one multiple times because it takes time for that to kind of eke out and learn what it actually is. 
Do you think it's important to have a stay-at-home parent? Follow-up. Will it be you? Last night, I saw one lady. No. <laughs> to her husband. It's like they have kids already. It's not going to be me. All right. What forms of discipline do you think parents should rely on? That's a technique question, right? But we have strong opinions. There's techniques that should not be used. You know, there's techniques from the Middle Ages that should not be... I don't think you should tell your child, if you do that, we're not going to feed you for three days. I don't think that's a good technique, right? But that, and it's funny, but it's, until it happens, and people do crazy things like that. What forms of discipline are not okay to you? I just gave you one. When will you be most likely to say, my parents did it and I turned out okay? By the way, the response to that is, well, okay isn't good enough for me. I want my children to be more than okay. And you're right, you're just okay. All right. <laughs> Is there anything from your childhood you would want to make sure your kids experience? Right? Some of us went on family vacations and we go, man, I want to do that with my kids. I want to crawl them all into a vehicle. I want to hear them fight in the backseat. Don't cross that line. And I want to drag them across the entire country because that's what family's about, right? Well, that's good to know before you get married because they have these things called planes now. And uh, maybe a different strategy. Is there anything from your childhood you want to make sure your kids don't experience? If we can't have kids, is adoption an option? I think that's a great dating question. What if we have triplets? <laughs> Not the first date, right? Is adoption an option? That goes with the triplets. <laughs> catch up, catch up. All right, good. Under what circumstances, if any, would you consider an abortion? How should parents give a spiritual foundation to their children? Critical question. You know why it's such a big question? They're in the order of most important. They're just in whatever came to my mind, Right? The reason this is so important, and I'm going to talk, I'm going to be sexist just for a moment. Ladies, you're looking for a Christian guy? Look for more. Christian guys accepted Jesus in seventh grade by a bonfire at, on a camp retreat, and they prayed the prayer, and now they're Christians. It doesn't mean they've grown in Christ. It doesn't mean they're going to church. It doesn't mean they believe in community. It doesn't mean they're reading their Bibles. It doesn't mean they have any spiritual maturity or any. All they'll say is, yeah, I want my kid to go on a retreat someday and receive Christ. It doesn't mean they're going to build a spiritual foundation in your life, their life, or their children's lives. And I know that was a sexist way, so guys, just flip it over. It could be the exact same thing. What if we can't get pregnant right away? What medical measures would you want to pursue and avoid? Right? I mean, some people, they can't get pregnant right away. They go, it's in God's hands. Other people go, yeah, but God gave us science. Let's go and let's spend a lot of money to try to get pregnant. And it's worth it to them. We're in a lot of physical inconvenience. Where do you fall on that? How do you think husbands and wives should each be involved in parenting? This is the kind of the role conversation. So when he says, I don't change diapers, you go, well, we're hiring a nanny then because I don't do it either. If you're not doing it, I'm not doing it, right? <laughs> How do you want your kids to be educated? This is a big deal, especially in churches, right? How do you want your children to be educated? You have choices, right? You can go public, private, home, or on the streets. Those are your choices, How often, if ever, would you take your kids to McDonald's? Yeah. And you laugh a little bit at that one. I noticed that. You laugh a little bit because that, that, that's a funny question until 
until one of you takes McDonald's, you know, the kid to McDonald's every day for a week, <laughs> and the other one's going, this is not how we're raising our children. We're not having Ronald McDonald children. We're going to have real children, right? So, so fast food kinds of questions. Here, what would you do if your three-year-old child expressed his or her displeasure by having a massive atomic meltdown temper tantrum at Walmart over being deprived of a box of Fruit Loops? That's a real parenting question. What do you do next? How do you handle that? By the way, someone's child is sounding just like me. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> All right, so that's it. Those are my uncomfortable dating questions. Now, why? Why is it so important to have those conversations? Why is it important to ask all of those and a bunch more and a bunch of other topics? And the answer is, it's better to ask before I do than after we did. It is so much better to break up when you're dating than, than to be frustrated your entire marriage because you didn't ask the right questions. Or to get divorced and have that scar tissue and that kind of poverty and that kind of pain in your life. And it's a loss for everybody. No one wins. Nobody wins. And, and we have a problem in American culture because we romanticize romance. We romanticize getting engaged and getting married. It's the biggest party. This is my day, the most important day on the face of the planet. This is it, the wedding day. It isn't. It is a really great day. Right? But I can promise you that the day your first child's born, you're going to go, who cares about the wedding? Look at this and this little one. And then they'll grow up and you go, I want my wedding back. <laughs> you know? <laughs> It's better to ask when you're dating at the risk of breaking up than going forward and ending up in a bad place. See, when we think about getting married, this is what we see. A, a, a man proposing to the beautiful bride and they're going to have a wonderful wedding and it's going to be an awesome day and then they're going to live their lives out and they live happily ever after. And the truth is that picture does not exist. This is the picture that exists everywhere. And that's not like ball and chain. It's... it's it's baggage, it's experiences, it's pain, it's suffering, it's misconceptions, it's not being the person you think they are. But we hide that from each other when we're dating because we want the date to go well, because we want them to like us. And so we don't, re until we start having honest conversations. Can I just tell you something? This, this blows me away. So some of you in, in our culture, when I see people proposing, you know, they're down, will you marry me? And they don't know the answer to the question before they propose. Like the woman is surprised. What? I didn't know our relationship was at this stage. That's insane. <laughs> Why would you do that to yourselves, guys? You know what you should do? You should have a question. You go, you know, how old do you think you want to be when you get married? How tall do you think your husband should be? You know, <laughs> ask, ask some questions to find out where your commitment is level. Where are we heading? What are we doing? And, and then... Someday, you know, when you go, hey, what kind of diamond, if you were to have a diamond ring someday, if you were to have zirconium, what would it look like and how big would it be? <laughs> you know, you ask, when I proposed to Lori, she didn't know when I was going to do it. I knew the answer was yes, or I would not have asked the question. <laughs> I don't do well with rejection. <laughs> I also think, man, the more you don't know, the more you're just gambling. Right? Why, why would you ever propose to somebody that you don't know that they're at the same place that, that you're at? Have a safer conversation so you don't have to take a ring back. Right? Come on. So, if parents aren't on the same page, this is so important. This is why it's the most important 
part of, of parental decisions, who you marry, who you do parenting with. If parents are not on the same page, your children, they will destroy you. Because from birth, they understand something that military leaders understand. Divide and conquer. They, they will figure out. They will figure out. I'm not kidding. They will figure out so fast who to ask what from. How to leverage. Well, that's not what mom said. Mom said blah, 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 blah. And dad goes, well, I'm emasculated, so go ahead. Right? Or dad said I could, and well, he's your father, and he's the head of a house. I guess we got to, whatever it is, got to get on the exact same page, or your children will play you. The health of the marriage sets the stage for family and parenting. It creates the culture. It creates what will happen for your children. Let me tell you some ways it does it. Number one, the health of your marriage will determine the security of your children. So when I was a kid, five years old, I remember laying in bed upstairs, hearing my parents arguing. I don't know what they were arguing about. All I could hear is these voices coming up. It could have been about whether they're going to put pepperoni or sausage on their pizza. Right? It wasn't maybe a big deal. But maybe it was a big deal. I'm laying in my bed and I'm wondering, are they going to be okay? Because it sounded kind of heated. Are they going to be okay? Are we going to be okay? Are my parents going to get divorced? By the way, this is 1965. Hardly anybody was getting divorced, but it was in my head. Well, it, it, and then, <laughs> I'm still with you. Um, <laughs> this is where security comes from. If, if you know that your parents love each other, if you know they're tender with each other, if you know they're staying married as a kid, it gives you a sense of well-being, of safety, of, of security. Right? It gives you a sense of constancy. That things aren't going to be up and down one day. And by that, that's the thing. Marriages that go up and down, it's hot and cold like this. Kids are going, what kind of roller coaster ride is this? It's the scariest one ever because I don't have a sense of constancy in my life. So here's what we did for, for our kids. We would have our kids, like they're in the kitchen getting ready. I'd come in, and I would give Lori a big hug and a big smooch in front of the kids. We'd hold hands. We'd get a little inappropriately frisky <laughs> in front of our children to the point where they'd have to say, gross, stop it, right? And we go, I just go, well, I just, just want to, are you feeling better? Are you feeling secure? Cause, and I would say it out loud because you know I'm crazy about your mom, right? And she's tolerating me so far. So this is a marriage that could work. <laughs> right? We're not going anywhere. We love each other. You're the one who's going to go somewhere. <laughs> We're staying. By the way, parents, you need to know that you are staying. You are staying together. And those kids are going to leave someday. That's the goal. <laughs> and when they leave, when they leave, you want to still be naturally frisky with each other, affectionate to each other, have a good marriage and communicate together. It's critical. It's, it's where the security for your kids come from, a sense of constancy. It's where love and joy flow. They flow from mom and dad's love for each other to loving their kids and the family being a healthy, loving, joyful place. The health of the marriage is the foundation, the stage for all those good things. This is how life works. This is why it's so critical that you, if you want to love your kids, love your spouse first. If you want to invest in your kids, make sure you're investing in your marriage first. This is the order of things. Okay, single parents, I got it to say, this does not mean you're hopeless. It doesn't mean God, God is with you. You can find joy. But if you're married, this is the way it goes. This is the way it's supposed to go. This is the design of, of God. And I'm sorry if you're a single parent. I have so much respect for you because neither of our children would have survived. 
because we would have disobeyed the most important parental commandment in Bible, thou shalt not kill. <laughs> All right? I'm, ser- I'm, I'm, I'm not serious, but I'm tongue-in-cheek serious. There are times when I couldn't do another moment with him or her. And Lori would come in and she'd look at me and she'd go, you're done. Go away. I will take over to keep the children safe. And there were times that I had to go, Lori, you're done. You need to go away. I will protect them from you, Mama Bear. Right? <laughs> the kids know how to push it to the very end. They're talented. Right? So here's, here's what I just told you. The health of marriage is where these things come from. Counselors know that. Teachers know that. They know that, that when kids aren't doing well in their environment, the marriage usually isn't doing well. I read that to a, a teacher yesterday. And she looked at me and she goes, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And she's thinking of specific kids, their families, what's going on in the family. It's the most important thing. So, so we've got to have a healthy marriage culture. Now, I'm going to take you to a controversial passage. We're going to go through it as, as quickly as I can. But it is about what I think is the main point of Ephesians chapter 5, verses 21 through 33. Again, controversial. By the way, these verses, this has kept some people, mostly women, from coming to God and coming to church. So we've got to deal with this. Um, it has the S word in it. So we'll get to that in just, just a moment. The point of the passage that Paul is writing, I believe, is to talk about people who are having dysfunctional families and marriages. And he's saying, hey, let's have healthy marriage cultures. And that's what he's trying to establish to the Ephesian church. And we get all... So evangelicals like to take one word, two words out of Scripture and make them the whole deal. We like to dissect it. We've, and sometimes when we do that, we see the tree, but we don't see the forest anymore. The forest is healthy marriage. That's the goal. Healthy marriages, healthy families. So here's how he starts this section of Scripture. He says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. You need to read that verse. This is the verse. This is the key to health in a church, an organization, and a family. You submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So this is the banner across the top. Submit to one another. Underneath that, he's going to talk to some specific people. He's going to talk to husbands, and he's going to talk to wives. Only flip the order. He's going to talk to wives first, and then husbands. So here's what he writes. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you would to the Lord. Now listen, that's not new. He already said submit to one another. What bothers women is that he repeated it for them. Right? Submit to your husbands. He already told you submit to your husbands. And he also already told your husbands to submit to you. Right? Submit to one another. But we get all inflamed about this. So wives, submit to your own husbands as you do the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as the church is the head of, excuse me, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, which is the Savior. By the way, how did Jesus become Savior for the church? He died. That's right. It means the husband's supposed to die every day for his family. Every day, sacrifice for his family. And I promise you, men, if we're, if we're living that kind of sacrificial attitude life, the submitting process, the loving and care, I'm going to talk more about submission in a minute, that won't be a problem. You know, what does head mean? This is where people argue. And we're not going to split the church over it. It's not, we're not going to open the can of worms. I think it has a lot more to do with influence and, and don't advocate leadership but it doesn't mean that the wife is not a leader. It doesn't mean that it's, it's not... We'll get to it. I'll keep going here. I'll get there. Now, as the church submits to Christ, 
so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. So that's the first line. Wives submitting to the, to the husband. We hear that word submit, and I know, I've already kind of implied, I know what's going on in some of your brains, and we're not past it yet. In some of your brains, there is this little face. <laughs> right? It's the inner look of disdain. Really? You're going to use a submit word? We got those out of my marriage vows. I never promised to submit to him. Well, everybody should be submitting to everybody. So why does it irk us so much? It's because our definition of submit in our culture, on Google, is submit means to accept or yield to a superior force, to the authority or the will of another person. What comes to my mind is my brother Steve pinning down my elbows on the ground with his knees, slapping my face, and making me say uncle, which nobody does anymore. I don't know what you make him say now when you beat up a kid, but you go, you surrendered, you surrendered. You say uncle, uncle, uncle. And you know, I'll never say uncle. Why did I say that to him? I'll never say uncle to you kind of an attitude. I did. I, I submitted, right? But that's what we have in our brains. He was bigger and stronger. Uh, it's what we have in our brains. That it's someone who's going to take us by force. They're going to power up and take us, and that's the fear. I don't think that's what the Bible means. I think if the Bible meant that, then Ephesians 25, which we're going to get to in a moment, would have said, husbands, dominate your wives. That is not in Scripture. There is no misogynist Bible, right? That, there's no woman-hating Bible. There's just the Bible. It never ever says that. So what we need to understand is what is biblical submit? What does that mean? Because it doesn't mean what Google says it means. It's just how it gets translated, right? Well, I think the answer is in Paul's writing to the Philippians. He starts talking about, uh, in chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, the attitude that we should have to each other. Here's what he says. He says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united in Christ, do you get his pleading? If you have any encouragement, if you're really a Christian, if you're even barely a Christian, is what he's saying. If you have any comfort from his love, if it's any common sharing of the Spirit, any tenderness of compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being in one spirit and one mind. It's kind of like combined one, one flesh, one mind, especially in the marriage context. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Not looking out for your own interests, but to each, but each of you to the interest of others. See, I think that's what Paul is saying. I think that's what Paul is telling all of us, right? That submitting is choosing to love, to serve, to defer your needs to their needs, and to give your very best to the other person. Submit one to another. The Bible goes on and says, not husbands, um, not husbands dominate your wives. It says, husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church. And what did he do? He gave himself up. He's hanging on the cross for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. He makes her better, more pure. And to present her to himself as a radiant church. Pause for a moment. Do you think we are the radiant church? Do you think, do you, reality, let me ask it a different way. Do you think Christ could look at us and go, what a sinful bunch of people? Can you believe you're thinking this? I can't believe you're thinking that. I can't believe you did that. Don't you think if Christ wanted to, he could point out all of our flaws and all of us would leave church just beat up, feeling like worthless people if Christ wanted to pound that into us, right? But that's not what the Bible says. He presents her to himself as a radiant church, right? Homely, uh, homely, (laughs) holy and blameless, without blemish, without stain, without wrinkle. In the same way, husbands ought, in the same way, 
Husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. And I, I've, been, I've told Lori this from the very beginning. I said, Lori, I know you have faults. I know you have faults, but I can't name them. And I'm seriously, I can't name them. All of her, when I start naming her faults, it's her good things on steroids, right? It's what's best about her, to, she's a very organized person. And if I want to twist that, I'll say you're controlling everything. You're a controlling person. No, she's just organized. She's a plan, right? This is a good thing. It's a good thing. But I can't list her faults. I present her to myself. For whatever reason, I've always presented her to myself as I married above, I, you know, I outkick my coverage. I married above my pay grade. I married above my intelligence. I married above my station in life. I just married above. I feel privileged to be her husband. Right? I feel lucky to be her husband. And most of you are thinking... Well, you are lucky to be her husband, you know. <laughs> we know you, and we know Lori. We don't see how that happened, but but we're supposed to do that, men, for for our wives and for our marriages and for ourselves. We present our wives to us without focusing on the faults. We could pick nitpick, without doing that. We present them perfectly. Are they? No, of course not, because we're all sinners. However, each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. So this is the end of the passage. It's saying love and respect. And people have talked about this in marriage. They go, marriages need, the the wife wants to be loved, the husband wants to be respected. Can I tell you the truth? I I mean, I agree with that, but let me tell you the truth. Both need both. Women, do you want to be disrespected? Does disrespect matter to you, or do you just want to be loved? (laughs) Right? Of course not. But women are far more likely to say, I don't feel loved. And men are more likely, I mean, very unlikely to say, I just need to be loved. We're not going to say that. Because we're men. We don't need it. (laughs) What we want is your respect. (laughs) And we want your love, but we're not going to tell you that. We need to be loved. We need love and respect. They go together. It's just how it gets articulated. Right? So so if we go back to the big picture, submit one to another for a family culture husbands and wives it starts with us a culture a lifestyle a way of living together with love and respect and now we're going to add because paul adds the kids right he adds the kids to this to this menu and here's what he writes he says children obey your parents it's interesting isn't it he didn't say children submit to your parents he already said that submit one to another but he gets more specific and he says children obey your parents he did not use the same word for wives and husbands. He didn't, and this is really important, wives, he did not say, obey your husbands. It's not that you're not our children, and we're not supposed to be yours um, either, although we get accused of it sometimes. <laughs> children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. What does that mean? Well, if your parents ask you to go lie, steal, or cheat, don't do it. That's not in the Lord. But obey your parents, as long as they're telling you to do something that. As long as, as long as they're not telling you to do something that's immoral, we should obey our parents. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, and it comes with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. It's a way of saying, obey your parents so they'll let you live another day, is what, that, what it kind of means. A long life, it's a little bit Spock, right? Live long and prosper. That's what he's saying comes from obeying your parents. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. That could say parents. I really believe it. It, it. it could have said parents. He's talking to fathers for a moment. I think, I think dads are just especially good at it, exasperating their children. Um, it's fun, right? 
because I do it to my kids, and my wife comes up to me and she goes, stop exasperating your children. She uses that word very intentionally because I'm just, I'm just poking the bear, right? And that happens. So fathers, don't exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. By the way, it doesn't give us, it doesn't give us the techniques. It gives us the purpose in the training and the instruction of the Lord. Um, okay, so submit. Submit in our culture means to yield to power. Power up and dominate. Biblical submission, it's a culture of love, care, sacrifice, joy, and well-being. And if you want to just take Ephesians 5 and go, don't, don't worry about all the trees, but let's get the forest, that's it. Ephesians 5 means let's work together, husbands and wives, to create a culture in our family where love is love and people are being cared for and there's mutual sacrifice and there's joy and there's, there's well-being. In a chart, it would look like this. We all care about each other. We all love each other. We all serve each other. Let me tell you what it doesn't look like. It doesn't look like this. Hey, hon. I'm home. Hey, can you take out the trash? Sure. Hey, we're on with Allison and her husband for Friday night. Which one's Allison? Well, anyway, I'm supposed to watch Batman vs. Superman with Mike on Friday. All right. That's my mom? Yep. Oh, really? It's sunny there. Hey! Are you looking at beaches for our family trip? No, this is Pebble Beach for golfing with my homies next month. What? Yeah. You're not going golfing with your homies. You're going on a trip with me. Mm, don't think so. Uh, I don't think so. Your parents have been here every weekend for the past two months. What about that? I, I, I have watched every single episode of ESPN Classics, and I still don't even get it. So I watched Brooklyn. That movie's like seven hours. I pretend to like Downtown Abbey. Did you, did you just call it Downtown Abbey? Yes, I did. You know it's Downtown Abbey. Can you clean up your room? All right, so what I want you to catch is how it flows through a family and how culture gets shaped. And what we're going for is a health of a marriage first. Be really careful who you marry. 
And if you're married, invest it. So let me give you some to-dos. First of all, for those of you who are not married, um, do your kids a favor. Kids that aren't even born yet, do them a favor. <laughs> Think about your kids as you date. But don't tell the other person you're doing that, right? I mean, that's awkward, right? As I look at you, I'm thinking about our children. That's right. a bad first. <laughs> Wait for the right time, right? Do your kids a favor. Ask the right questions before you get married, before you have children. Because you want the, no one's perfect, but you want the best possible choice for raising your children with. All right, let me give you to-dos for those who of you are married and, and you've got kids. By the way, someone asked me, what about those of us who our kids are all grown up? It is now time to sit back on our laurels and enjoy the view, all right? That's how this works, and enjoy your marriage. Um, and you become an advisor for, for other people because there is a day when you're not being their parent. We'll talk about that in the last message a little bit, what you do next. Uh, do your kids a favor. Invest in your marriage, right? If you're married here, invest in your marriage. You know, when you tell the kids, goes, you know, we care so much about your children that we have to go away for the weekend because we're going to invest in our marriage, and they will receive security and joy from that as the grandparents come and help. Love and respect each other. Develop that culture. Go on a date every single week. Invest in just the two of you. Talk about this stuff. Talk about the questions that you should have asked before. You, what? You know, you could have, when you get home, hey, what do you wish that you would have asked before we got married? Have an honest conversation. Um, get on the same page. Because if you're on different pages, they'll divide and conquer you. Hug each other. Get appropriately fixy, frisky. Make them say gross. Right? Because, because that's where security comes from. It's how you handle your conflict, how you express your love, what a family means. All of that gets filtered to the kids. They get security. They get constancy. They get joy. And they get love. So the first and most important thing is who you marry and how your marriage is going. Right now, we want to invest in your marriage as well as a church. So coming April 5th and 6th, we are going to do our first marriage enrichment experience together. That's a Friday night to the noon on Saturday. I'm telling you about it now, not because I know everything that's going to take place, but because I want you to mark your calendars and plan on being there. We are also in the future going to do some things about, about child rearing and more technique kinds of things. That's coming down the road too. We need to step up our game as a church to help you. So write that down. You can actually sign up for it. There's a sign-up sheet out there to say we're going to go to it um, before you leave. All right, so we're going to continue next week with our series. Let's pray and get you out of here. God, first of all, thanks for being our dad. And, and not being like our dads because our dads had so many flaws, so many failures. And we love them, but you are our dad. You're our perfect dad. You're the dad that our, our dads could never be. And God, we would ask that as our father, as our parent, you would encourage us and train us. You would help us make good decisions about in, in our dating, in our relationships, and in our families, and especially um, for those of us who are in the, 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 or the ground level raising our children help us and teach us. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks for coming.